This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ho, ho, hello, and welcome back to Bar Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast with cinnamon in its veins and tinsel for hair. And if you think that sounds monstrous and horrific, well, that makes it entirely appropriate for today's film. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Helen O'Hara, and I'll be your host. And today we are talking about Christmas, Bloody Christmas, which is out on Shudder for your viewing pleasure or horror. Uh, delete as appropriate. This is the latest film from Joe Bigos, and it tells the story of, you know, it's an average small town Christmas Eve. And Tori, who's played by Riley Dandy, just wants to finish work and go get drunk and maybe get laid with her friends. All seems fantastic until, wouldn't you know it, a robot department store Santa Claus made, and this is crucial, using decommissioned military technology, goes on a killing spree. So that makes it the bloody Christmas of the title. So joining me to discuss this rampaging robot Santa is an expert in killer robots, probably, or at least in horror movies. Please welcome Michael Munzer, who is the host of Evolution of Horror. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, absolute pleasure. Happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas. I love this time of year, you know. Like, I am definitely, I'm one of those people that will pop Mariah Carey on, like, mid-November. I'm into it, you know. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm loving this time of year. Fully signed up, absolutely yeah. ready for whatever yeah. it brings. And do you watch a lot of Christmas horror films? Because obviously you, you watch a lot of horror films, you have to, but um, but is is this particular subgenre of interest? Yes, I think that Christmas and horror go together really well for some reason. I guess, it, you know, you could trace it all the way back to stuff like Dickens' A Christmas Carol. You know, that idea of the traditional British ghost story at Christmas is such a thing. And I, I, I kind of love all of those, lots of sort of BBC adaptations of, of BBC Christmas ghost stories, you know, from the 70s I watch every year and one of my favourite horror movies of all time actually is uh, Black Christmas from 1974 uh, yes. I love that slasher movie, movie. Kind of, yeah kind of the original slasher movie about these kind of sorority girls getting sort of stalked by this man inside the house and it was really the first of its kind like I think you know a lot of people credit movies like Halloween for kicking off the slasher movie Black mm. Christmas did it 
four years earlier and, and I think it did it better as well I think that movie has got such a creepy atmosphere and, and mystery to it I, I love it so yeah I'm I'm a huge fan of Christmas horror when it's done well yeah I feel like there's a risk that your Christmas is going to be disturbed by people with pitchforks coming at you for saying anything is better than Halloween I'll be honest I know I, I, like I know I know I've said it I've said it many times on my own <laughs> podcast as well and, and thankfully I'm still alive so yeah <laughs> okay well fingers crossed we shall live in hope um, just before you and I I get started talking to, uh, about this. I actually spoke earlier this morning or very, very late at night, his time, which is eerily appropriate, to Joe Bigos, who is the director of uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas. And we had a really good chat about the film's genesis, um, its its very distinctive look, which I think you and I will be talking about soon, and, um, and all things Christmas Bloody Christmas. So here it is. Please enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Biggis, uh, director of Christmas Bloody Christmas. This was so much fun. I love a Christmas horror movie. So how did how did the idea come to you? What was the genesis of this for you? Um, well, I love horror movies. I mean, I love Christmas horror movies and I love uh, robot movies. And I, right at the beginning of, uh, or the start of 2020, right before COVID, I got approached by um, the then rights holders of the Silent Night, Deadly Night remake. And they asked oh, wow. me to come up with uh, a take on the remake and i'm normally not one for remakes um just because i don't want to have to like go toe-to-toe with some of my favorite movies but i always thought that sound Night Deadly Night was like the perfect movie to remake because mm. it's the iconography that's so strong in the title but like the movie itself doesn't really live up to everything you think it's going to live up to even seeing it numerous times so um they approached me and i was like well fuck yeah i'd love to come up with something with that and um you know it was late at night i was like trying to think of how to put a spin on it and i was like what if I was a Terminator? <laughs> and uh, I got super excited about it and belted out a pretty detailed treatment, submitted it, you know, thinking that I had it in the bag and uh, they declined it because it was too, too different. Uh, maybe? Yeah. Too different. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, it's a story's different. The fan base is going to be upset. And it's like, dude, I am the fan base and trust me, I'm going to fuck all the plot. Um, and then COVID happened. I was kind of sitting on board and I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? He's right. Um, it is very different. It's a fucking original idea. So I mm. turned it into adapted into a screenplay. That was, I mean, I went back and looked at the sound of the night treatment. Um, and it was like beat for beat, the same exact thing. So uh, I finished the script, sent it out, and it got financed faster than any movie I had done before at twice the budget the remake was gonna be. So wow. yeah, it was spawned out of th- that, like and became, you know, <laughs> what it was is kind of interesting so now i just approach i usually wouldn't go for remakes uh but now if anybody approaches me with a pitch i'm just going to come up with like the craziest fucking thing and then it's like either they finance it and it's this crazy idea or i spent that time crafting a new original movie that i can just change yeah. the title on so that's my approach now that's fantastic i mean that's a very sensible way of going about it frankly and and i mean the budget i mean you mentioned but like it really comes across so this has got a lot more scale than i sort of expected you've got some kind of big action moments in it, which I, I kind of, I mean, this is my my hangouts probably rather than you, but I was I kind of wasn't expecting. I thought this was going to be a very low budget, very kind of contained horror movie, but you got real scope and scale and and, and dazzle into this, I felt like. Oh, thank you. Uh, it was still a low budget, you know, well, it depends. I mean, for me, it was a lot of money, but it was a couple million bucks. Um, right. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to put that all on screen. You know, there's a lot of American independent horror movies where it's like they got a couple million bucks. So they throw a couple of people in a house and there's, you know, some noises and sounds. But it's like, I got a couple million bucks. I'm going to shoot on film. I'm going to save a fucking blizzard. We could build a robot. Let's build a robot. Let's blow shit up. Let's split some cars in half. And then, you know, um, we were able to find a little town who was excited to have us. And we treated it like our back lot. And, uh, you know, we really stretched our budget. So yeah. I'm glad. 
no, it's 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 cool. So so tell me about the sort of maybe influences or 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 you know the the films that inspired you because you talk about loving killer robot movies. I was reminded. I, I kept thinking of, and this is very much not a killer robot movie, but I think kept thinking of Short Circuit and like this is the evil Short Circuit. <laughs> I don't I don't imagine that was a major influence, but uh, but what kind of movies did you go back to? Um, I actually haven't watched Short Circuit in a while, but I did watch that and two as a lot as a kid. I like two more. I don't know if that's a controversial thing. I remember watching two more when I was a kid. Um, but I mean, Terminator was obviously the biggest inspiration. Yeah. Silent Night, Deadly Night was an inspiration only because it forced me to write it. Um, stuff like I like uh, High Tension a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Like kind of how it's just a, an extended chase scene. You know, um, the second half of the movie kind of feels like that to me. So that was very influential to me and you know i think that like there's a lot of other movies that influenced my earlier movies that kind of lent itself to my aesthetic like the whole neon scape with lots of haze and fog um and you know that stuff was very influenced by like gaspar noe and abel ferrara and while like that didn't while those filmmakers didn't directly influence this movie the fact that they influenced my style kind of just automatically by default puts that style into this movie so it's like this hodgepodge of all that stuff i I was going to ask about your your lighting and your color choices because it is so vivid and it's kind of like it's christmas lights it's neon lights and as we talk we're on zoom and you've got this fantastic red and green lighting scheme behind you as well like it you obviously love that kind of color i know i mean i'm guessing yeah (laughs) um yeah i just love that stuff and i've infused neon in like almost all my movies and figured out a way to do it and i feel like the characters who inhabit my movies you know that's it lends itself to that and it's to the point now where i think it's just like aesthetically like even if it doesn't make sense you know i didn't put any neon in the sheriff station but i felt like it kind of worked everywhere else and the juxtaposition of like you know her not necessarily caring about christmas but the thing i like about the aesthetic of christmas movies is the lighting and how it looks so i think that it was cool to like have the juxtaposition of her living this normal life but then everything else around her is christmas mm. so it has its own like very um dynamic look and uh it's so funny because when i um told my dad i got this movie financed i was like uh you know it's gonna happen this and that and he was I was pitching, telling him the movie again, you know, what happens in the movie. He's like, oh, it's a Christmas movie, so you're not going to have – you can finally get rid of all the fucking neon lights. And it's like, well, actually, I am uh, <laughs> going to be motherfucking neon on steroids. <laughs> I mean, and Christmas lights themselves lend it, lend themselves to it. Like, you got to have them in there. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, So tell me about your your characters and tell me about Riley, I guess, as Tori in particular. You know, what made her right for, for that part? Well, both of the characters were uh, – Tori more than Robbie, but like they're kind of both extensions of me or my friends, people that I hang out with, like people who are in my world, social circles and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, it's a testament to uh, my financiers and producing partners at RLJ and Shutter. Like, despite us having a couple million dollars, they didn't need the movie to be cast contingent. So, like, they didn't need me to go out and search for a name. So, like, I didn't, you know, which sucks because then you're blindly just offering it to somebody without seeing what their chops are if they actually want to do the role. Um, so, they let me make the movie non cast contingent. And I got a really Really, really great casting director, Amy Renee. Um, I populated all the supporting roles with like friends or actors that I'd worked with before, um, but I wanted new people in my orbit for uh, the two leads. And Amy just found me tons of people. And I went through and I watched everything. And Riley was like, you know, she was so passionate about like the Pet Cemetery 2, you know, monologue and stuff like that, that she narrowed down on my list. And then when I finally went into like, you know, have a one on one with her and start kind of working the scenes to how she to see how she would work i'm a big fan of riffing and like mm-hmm. um spontaneous spontaneity and all that and uh she started doing that and she was like riffing stuff that sounds like i would have written it um so it, i just knew that she was right there she had like the perfect kind of um you know aura and she was able to riff like i was writing it and 
that turns out that after I cast her in the movie, she like hadn't seen Pet Cemetery too, didn't like horror movies, didn't like rock music. So she sold me on that without actually having seen it. And then to her, you know, her credit, she went out and watched all these movies. But yeah, she was just, you know, she was really good. And we, um, the shoot was eight weeks. So a lot oh, of wow. the dialogue was at the second half. Right. So like the two leads kind of were around me and they were sponging. I mean, realizing that they were kind of playing variations of me. So they were able to integrate knowing me and piece of my personality into their characters for the second half of the shoot yeah. and really kind of mature them and make them feel good. So it's, you know, it's a, all the elements coming together perfectly. That- that's a really interesting way of, of of scheduling it. So so you get all, I guess, the, the more technical and the more kind of uh, kinetic stuff done first, but it also, I suppose, gives your cast a, a chance to get to know each other, become familiar, and then they've kind of got that base going into, you know, their scenes as as friends. Is, was that the thinking? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it depends. Like on this, like we specifically, because of one of the locations, we had to do some of that stuff earlier on. Right. Um, and it ended up working out. It sucks when your first week is like, Oh, day one. All right. You're going to scream. And then we're going to crash a car. And it's like, you know, it's a slow starting and everything's fucking up and they don't really know what's going on. Cause they're yelling. But then like, you know, you don't need to stretch to be doing shit like that as an actor. It's hard works on me to fucking stage these scenes. So like, I was actually kind of annoyed about it, but in retrospect, it's like, Oh, this is a really smart way to do this going forward. Usually I like to do it in chronological order because then the movie sure. kind of grows. But now makes me realize oh yeah get all that shit out of the way so that now i'm bonding with them and then we have room to a working relationship where they're more naturalistic from the start instead of like starting as a seed kind of because it does have that real flow just in those early kind of you know scenes in the record store and so and like they just feel like a bunch of people who know each other and who are just kind of riffing together it does feel really loose and really kind of casual that way i thought that worked brilliantly oh yeah Yeah. they they made my writing sound a lot better than it probably (laughs) Do you have a do you have like an action beat or or a kill that you're proudest of in the film? I thought that the coolest kill was the angry El Camino owner who gets his head split open and then thrown through the windshield and then drive and crashes. So I was like, you know what? Um, I'll take the daily sag fee to have the coolest kill in the movie and yell and scream and drunkenly throw shit. So, uh, yeah, I gave myself a cameo post writing. I didn't write it for me, but then afterwards I was like, well, I want to be in the movie because all my friends would get like residuals checks and every other movie, like all my friends are getting residual checks from being in the movie. And I'm not because I just directed it. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm going to start putting myself in all my goddamn movies because I want some of this extra fucking money after the fact. Um, and Is this how to- Hitchcock started? <laughs> Is this the thing? Pull all the fucking acting residuals. Um, but, and I was like, you know, and then it also I got to cast like life cast myself earlier on, which was easy for the effects people. So, um, yeah, it, it, me thinking that's the best kill, uh, isn't because I'm doing it. I did it because I thought it was the best kill. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and how about all the effects work? I mean, you've done a lot of movies now you've, you've worked in sci-fi horror, you know, all different genres. Are you always kind of trying to push the envelope and find things you haven't done before and, and develop that stuff? Effects wise? Yeah. yeah. Effect, well, effects and kills, I guess, a little bit of overlap. Yeah. Effects-wise, definitely. Um, you know, I always wanted to do animatronic uh, stuff, and it's like a dying art form that sucks because the artists are, weren't allowed to really push that technique because it mm-hmm. kind of died out when CG came. And, like, it just – I imagine what animatronics would be like if – the you know the industry's best artists were allowed to continue to do them like in theme parks they are and you look at mm. you know Disney, i think it's shanghai or tokyo one of them but they have like an avatar ride where there's a fucking animatronic and things like walking around and talking and it's like well yeah see they've had 30 years to still push this envelope like it stopped in movies so with this we're kind of like figuring out how to build a robot like we i don't think there's been an actual robot in a movie in like 20 years we like mm. looked like 
searched even new Terminator movies. Like it's all fucking CG, but it's like, you know, how do we use new technologies to do these animatronics? And like we used, uh, well, the effects people use 3d printers a lot, like to build some of the parts, which wasn't something that was around before. And that allowed us to kind of fuck around and like figure out new easy ways to do that. And also if we do, I'd really love to do a sequel. So like, this is almost R and D to figure out how to do that animatronic better and then my dream movie is a werewolf movie which now we've got animatronics under our belt this way and we know how to push the envelope that way so I'm trying to figure it out so it's like i'm always trying to find that stuff to do and now that i know or now that we've done animatronics like the whole pair of paul verhoven thing like you know where alex murphy or other characters in the movie are getting like heads blown up but they're humans that are animatronics like i want to do stuff like that and then you know with a previous movie i experimented with stop motion mm-hmm. uh, i'd love to like kind of just keep on going and like trying that stuff and using new technology to make it better than it was you know 30 years yeah. ago uh same reason i would shoot on film you know yeah it's like scientifically a, a fact that digital is inferior in every way you know from exposure to all that so it's like well why why is an industry are we going backwards i just want to keep doing this shit you know just keep pushing it absolutely um what about a christmas werewolf movie then i don't feel like there's been that many of those no but um i well, I don't want to spoil my idea for a Christmas a werewolf movie. <laughs> One of the ideas I have for a werewolf movie does involve a Christmas set piece. Nice. Uh, kind of like uh, Cycle of the Werewolf, the Stephen King thing, where there's like it takes place over a long period of time. So you get to cherry pick holidays that, <laughs> that uh, are settings for giant set pieces. That would be amazing. I feel like I haven't seen very many of those. Um, so, uh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. So uh, I wanted to talk as well, you, you talked about the the time where you shot. I mean, I was reading interviews that you've done over the years and you were talking about, you know, really liking to to set your movies in a place and have a sense of place to it. So, you know, did you get to go up there? Uh, it was, was it Placerville? Is that right? And, yeah, and sort of uh, settle in a little bit beforehand? Um, well, yeah, we just drove around and we're trying to find somewhere that was kind of close to LA. I mean, it was six hours away, but like close enough. Um, and that seemed like it was like the perfect town like it seems like i wrote it for us so yeah we went up there i lived up there for like a month and we were living up there but like you know we were locals shutting down the bar on the strip every night and just integrating ourselves into there um the town that i grew up in is kind of like that but it's on the opposite side of the country right. which is where I shot my first two movies and it's also like 50 degrees fahrenheit colder which is why i didn't want to go back there and i'm like let's find somewhere like you know the snow might not be real in this one but i'd rather it be like comfortable and my cruise doesn't get fucking frostbite you know so i, I kind of was able to adapt pretty quickly just because it is like the kind of town that i grew up in like every day you know yeah. uh, every town usa so to speak yeah nice and i was working with the fake snow because i've heard a lot of film directors curse its name basically it's a it can be a tricky thing i think that what we got out of it was worth the annoyance so you know the biggest problem is like wind will just change it the direction you've got to do it you know and then me i like to have a lot of big moving shots and wides and like we had cheaper snow machines so it's like just trying to figure out and then you know none of them are like wireless so you've got to wrangle if we're doing long shots you got to wrangle cord where can they go where they're not blowing against the wind because you know if you want to go behind somebody and i'm following them you can't just shoot it like that because if the wind's blowing this way that fucking shit's not showing up on camera so it just becomes a matter of like figuring that stuff out um so yeah it was just I, I didn't make it easy for myself you know like the robot like the thing kept them going down at the end and i'm like you know it's like three hours and i'm like guys what the fuck you know this is you know we're falling way behind and like joe not only do we have a robot but you set it in a scene where it's being covered in gallons of water and you want us to rig explosives to it and it's like well i mean it sounds pretty awesome doesn't it <laughs> it does fun. it does sound awesome hey look if, if spielberg can make jaws with a broken shark you know it's just yeah. it's just part of the game isn't it <laughs> yeah, figure it out you know what I mean? like that's a good thing about practical effects if something goes down you can figure it out there and readapt whereas like if the effect doesn't look good it's completely out of your hands if it's cg um so that's why i live and die by practical for sure 
Absolutely. Well, listen, I've got to finish up, but what's next for you? I know in like 2019, I think you made two films back to back. So does that mean your next film is already on its way or are you slowing down a little bit and taking uh, it easier? I am uh, in the middle of shooting a movie right now. There you go. Wow. I actually started shooting it before the Christmas movie. It was a COVID movie that was supposed to be a little simple. Um, but of course I made it ultra complicated. Um, it was supposed to be like a 30 day shoot. We got to day 60 of shooting oh and then goodness. Christmas movie finance and I had to like shelve it, but we start shooting again on Monday. It's uh, a psychotronic, like hallucinatory alien abduction movie about a coked out filmmaker who gets abducted by aliens and things start coming back. So he does a bunch of drugs and booby traps his house like home alone and they do come back and it just turns into a giant drug trip like Gaspar Noe meets brain damage. And I star in it because of COVID. I didn't want to use any of the unions. So like it, this easy COVID movies now like shot on film with animatronic aliens and like explosions and giant dream sequences and like fist fights at last minutes and like set destruction and rear projections. But I'm hoping to finish shooting that by the end of the year and start going to festivals in the spring um so yeah it's like i guess it's this weird thing now where i just have two movies back to back i guess you know it's like m night Shyamalan. he's successful with the twist a couple times and now it's like i fucking do it every time but, um, <laughs> yeah i didn't mean for it to happen but here we are so here we are early next year that'll be hitting. that sounds absolutely amazing so uh best of luck finishing it off and uh and yeah uh happy christmas or christmas bloody christmas if you prefer that's right, Thank you. <laughs> All right. cheers when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm Martin. I'm Sam. And every week we get together on our podcast Song by Song to discuss the music of Tom Waits. Uh, Waits is a writer, musician and performer. Uh, you might know him from his four decades of songs like uh, What's He Building In There, Downtown Train, Martha, Rain Dogs. Or you might have seen him in films like Dracula, uh, The Fisher King, uh, The mm. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Or, if you made it that far, licorice pizza. We're joined every week by guests from various backgrounds and disciplines, and together we take a close listen to his work, analysing the topics and tones he uses in his music, and honestly engaging with one of the most interesting voices of his generation. Listen to our latest season or dive into our back catalogue by visiting songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice. All right, so that was Joe Bigos, and thanks to him for, uh, for coming and having a chat. Just to let you know, he was on the Zoom. He is bearded and long-haired. He looks like a horror director. If, you, if someone showed you a picture of this man, you'd be like, well, he obviously makes horror movies. That's that's perfect. Um, he was also fantastically lit, as I said in the interview, with yes. just 
red and and green kind of neon lights oh. in his house. That's just his house. It's not something he'd put on for Christmas. That's just the way he lives. And it it looked fantastic. And that is that is something that really stood out to me about this film as well. Just the look of it is really striking. It is amazing, isn't it? And again, he really captures that kind of spooky Christmas spirit, I suppose, right? I guess when we think of Christmas, we think of kind of red and green fairy lights and that kind of thing. And it feels like this whole movie is just drenched in that kind of lighting, isn't it? I mean, it's so extreme. It doesn't look realistic. Like, there's no way that toy stores are going to look like this or record stores are going to look like this, right? But it's... um, I loved it, actually. It's such a vibe because the, the, the actual horror doesn't kick off really until sort of quite a way into the film a lot of the first act which I really loved is just people talking right yeah but that was some of the most compelling stuff for me I really liked the characters and I, and I just loved soaking up those visuals you know yeah absolutely and I, th- I think you're absolutely right it doesn't um you know it's it's probably what 30 minutes really before the yeah. killing gets going and and it's only a, an 81 minute film it's not it's this does not outstay its welcome you and I were just talking before we started about um you know, this is this is award season, so we're watching a lot of very long films at the moment. This is not one of those. This is no. very, very get in, get out, short, sharp shot kind of a film. But mm. yeah, it has that vibe, doesn't it? It feels a little bit, it feels like a proper indie movie. It feels like, you know, Empire Records-y kind of bunch of people yeah. in a record shop talking about their love lives. Yeah, definitely. And I love that kind of thing. There's been a real, um, there's been a real trend of that in horror. Obviously, I go to a lot of indie horror festivals and things like Fright Fest. And you, you know, I've seen Joe Bigos's previous work, like Bliss, as well, and it, mm. it has that same kind of style, that same kind of look. But also, there is such a trend at the moment of these almost kind of like mumblecore horror films, like horror films with just one or two characters just hanging out. Uh, for, for a big chunk of the movie before anything happens. It was actually something that I think Ty West kind of really popularised at the beginning of the yeah. 2010s as well. Um, and obviously he did X earlier this year, which almost has that same vibe. It's a long time before the horror starts in X as well. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that because I think it's important in all horror really to actually care about the characters before horrific stuff starts happening to them, you know? Before horrific things happen yeah, to them. Yeah, you've got to care, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And and yeah, I think that works out well. He, he talked in the interview, obviously, about, you know, he has reused cast members. He's he's beginning to, I think, assemble a little bit of a mm-hmm. of an ensemble of, of, of people that he goes to. And, and you feel that ease and you feel that kind of um, familiarity, I think, with, mm. with his people, um, which, which, I mean, also must help him stretch his budget because like two million dollars is is a lot for an independent horror film but it is nothing at all by you know studio standards God, yeah. and and he gets a bit of scale in this he gets a you know a bit of car chasing and a bit of destruction property destruction and stuff and he has a killer robot yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I imagine a lot of the budget must have gone into just how cool that film looks, right? Again, going back to the lighting and the production design and that kind of thing. But yeah, I love that that, that he's got this kind of repertoire of actors that he works with. And, and there, again, there is something about it. They feel all very comfortable with each other, don't they, these actors in that first half? Um, particularly like the sort of the main two characters. Tori and Robbie, played by Riley Dandy and Sam um, Delic, they are really great and they they just have this kind of natural chemistry together in that first yeah. act so yeah i think all of that worked really well yeah i was i was rooting for those crazy kids um mm. 
you know, we tend to talk a little bit of spoilers uh, on on this podcast. I, I won't get too into who dies and in what order, but not everybody that you get to know and like in those first few minutes really gets out of this alive uh, without <laughs> no. giving too much away. Uh, and that's kind of a shame because, you, you, as you say, you, you get really into them. It's also got some very gnarly kills. I mean, he, he mm. does not skimp on the gore just because it's Christmas time. No, I think, and that's another really interesting thing the slasher movie is kind of making a comeback, I feel like, in in horror. You know, we talk a lot on my podcast about these kind of trends of horror that sort of come and go. And the slasher kind of really boomed in the 70s and 80s. It made a comeback in the 90s with Scream. And then it just kind of fizzled out. It almost became too formulaic, I think. You know, and with films like Scary Movie and that kind of thing, it just kind of died a death for a long time. But in this last year or two, we've had a lot of them from kind of X to all these Halloween reboots and Hellraiser and Candyman coming back and Scream coming back and all of that and these other kind of really interesting new indie movies as well and yeah this brings the carnage in like a classic 80s slasher kind of vibe doesn't it I think yeah it and it does have a really 80s vibe to it even though it's set in the in the present day it has just some of that kind of slightly video nasty energy not full on video nasty kind of, you know, trying to be upsetting for the sake of it, but mm. that same kind of gonzo energy, I thought. Yeah, it it feels like it belongs in that world, doesn't it? And they even even all of the sort of the references they talk about music and bands from the 80s and films from the 80s and even the that kind of record store, like everything about it looks and feels like we're we're in the 80s, aren't we? In a kind of like stylized version of the 80s, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. So tell me how about like you know, first of all, Santa's gone bad and then and then kind of robots. Like that feels a bit more original. I, d- I don't feel like we've had a huge m- number of those. No. I mean, obviously bad Santa, but that's a very different thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was one early 80s slasher movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is <laughs> brilliant. It was very shocking. And I think like there were sort of all these um, groups of activists trying to get it banned in America when it came out because they found it so utterly disgusting that it's this, like, figure of Santa Claus who was just, like, really brutally murdering people. Um, And it's a great, fun, silly, quite bad-taste movie from the 80s. But other than that, yeah, there haven't been a hell of a lot of kind of killer Santa slasher movies in that way. And, yeah, robot Santas. I mean, that's a new mm. thing altogether, I think, isn't it? I the, love that. The only thing I could think of was uh, that one episode of Doctor Who, one of the Christmas specials, had mm. uh, had kind of robot Santas, you know, coming alive. And that's right. Over. And I guess there is, you know, obviously a much smaller budget, but I guess it does have a kind of Terminator vibe a little bit. This, Very you know, much, there's a yeah. big sequence in a kind of police precinct and everything, right? And it does feel like it is kind of mixing all of those, it's it, all of those kind of 80s influences. Again, Silent Night, Deadly Night meets the Terminator, basically, yeah. isn't it? But it's great. I loved it. Well, I haven't been able to uh, send you the interview from this morning yet, so I'm about to blow your mind because this began life when he was asked about potentially doing a remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Ah. And then, so he tried to come up with a really gonzo idea. That didn't quite work. It didn't quite take off. And then he just took it and, and made it his own more so than it already was and uh, and turned it into this so well there you, you know, go that makes a lot of there sense you go. that makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah i i i think that works really well and it's uh, yeah it has a kind of old fashioned charm that again we don't get a lot that much in horror these days so it's quite refreshing to see something as fun as this yeah yeah um what about the what about the kills do you have strong opinions on kills in horror movies is there a you know does mm-hmm. does the gore have to follow a certain rhythm to really work for you yeah i think 
especially with a slasher movie, because slasher movies are basically about the kills, aren't they? Let's be honest, that's the reason why we tune into most slasher movies. You're, you're there to watch, like, to put it brutally, you're there to watch people die in quite interesting, imaginative ways. That's why we love the Final Destination films. That's why we love, you know, the Halloween and Friday the 13th movies. And yeah, I think on the whole, this has got some really fun kills. I think... It does feel like it slightly runs out of steam in the final act. Like, I think that eventually they've kind of... Again, I don't know whether it was budgetary constraints or something, but it sort of felt a bit like they'd run out of new, fresh ways to sort of have this Santa off people. But I think, again, those initial... The first couple of kills that we see, and there's a kind of shock to it that I really liked. There's a sort of... You know, it's a lot of just, like, swinging and axing people in half and that kind of thing, right? And... uh, I think a child dies, don't they? Sort of near the beginning as well, and it just yeah. it, it gets pretty. You know, it's it's got a kind of nasty streak, which I quite liked. You know, I admired its sort of uh, its its courage for doing that. Um, yeah, I think you know the best kills. Again, if you take like a classic example like Scream, and particularly that opening scene of Scream with Drew Barrymore, I think the best ones are the ones that earn that schlocky payoff like you 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 need a really good build-up you need a bit of suspense you need to care about what's happening for then for it to then wallop you with something really nasty and gory at the end of it and this definitely had a couple of those you know i think a couple of really well executed kills i would say Yeah. yeah what about you uh yeah no similarly when when the when a policeman turns up to answer a call um, again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid too many spoilers because I feel like, you know, it's one thing spoiling uh, a film that everybody knows very well yeah. uh, and has had a chance to really see in depth. But people are maybe listening to this, deciding whether or not to see this film. And um, there, there's one moment where a policeman comes up and, and I was kind of, I was pretty close to screaming at the screen, <laughs> get back in your car and get gone. Like, just go right now. Just leave now, please. And, uh, and, and spoiler, he doesn't and, and things don't go super well for him. So like that, that kind of moment really did get to me. Oh. I was very engaged at that point. Yeah, because am I not right in thinking, Helen? You you spoke to me on my own podcast about this, but you you are uh, you you call yourself a bit of a wuss with horror films, right? Did mm. you did you get yeah. scared in this movie? I I did. But moments like that when it, when it was really kind of the full, you know, we were we're really into the middle act. The kills yeah. were coming pretty regularly. That's where I was kind of like. Oh, I don't know what's happening here. I mean, you know, look, I'm I'm very very tough. I've watched Event Horizon twice. Hey, um, come on. Hey, hey. Uh, I, I sat through Barbarian this year and didn't <gasps> didn't leave the cinema once. You know, that is I can scary. do this stuff. Yeah, I was yeah. very scary. Yeah, but yeah, no, it it did get to me. It it did uh, mm-hmm. it did worry me at times. Um, <laughs> did you have any sort of what are your kind of criticisms? I guess and and you know any shortcomings? I, I think if. I think my biggest one probably would be that I wanted maybe a bit more personality almost from the killer robots, yeah. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's true, actually. Like, again, I sort of, yeah, I think I almost enjoyed this movie despite the killer robot rather than because of it. And that's a bit of a shame. Like, there was so much other great stuff going on. And I've talked about how much I like just the characters and the general vibe and setup. And again, maybe it came down to budget. But I think you're right. I think the actual robot killer Santa itself was maybe a little bit underwhelming. And I think, yeah, again, there is, for me, like I've mentioned already, but there maybe just a slight pacing issue in the second half. For a, for a film that is only 84 minutes, I started to go, okay, how much longer is left here? Like when we were getting to the point where 
he the, the 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 robot kept dying but then kept coming back and then kept dying and kept coming back and it was like it just i don't know there was maybe just it needed a little extra something in that final act to kind of punch it up a bit but generally on the whole i, I didn't really have many complaints i thought it was great fun but yeah i would say yeah the killer the killer robot like again maybe it came down to budget or whatever but santa robot like you said could have had maybe a bit more personality yeah yeah, because they they make a reference early on to he has you know ninety thousand potential phrases. It's a sort of an AI yeah, system. Right. So and and I thought the explanation of why you would have a robot Santa was actually quite clever. They were like, no, you don't have to worry about creepy Santas in the <laughs> yeah. mall because now it's a robot. And th- yeah. there's a thought process there. I, I appreciated that. But yeah, so given that you have ninety one thousand you know possible phrases or whatever it is, mm. I, you know, I would have liked to have heard a bit of like crazy inappropriate. Yeah. Christmas wishes or something. Absolutely. And again, you know, coming back to the idea of what what makes the kind of slasher movie truly uh, uh, work or truly iconic is often the iconic kind of slasher killer too. Like, you know, what's weird is in a way that some of these kind of killer characters became more beloved than the the heroes in slasher movies, right? Famously, whether it's Jason or Freddy chucky these kind of like these 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 homicidal maniacs but with quite a lot of charisma and personality right and uh people fall in love with those types of characters and yeah you're right i think there was almost a missed opportunity there our killer robot santa could have been a bit more fun maybe in its personality just to kind of elevate it that little bit much more into a a kind of slasher cult classic maybe yeah yeah but but still um still very very uh, good fun I thought and and yeah a pleasant surprise sort of it came out of a little bit out of nowhere for me I'd, I'd heard of a, a couple of Big Oz's other films I hadn't actually been to Fright Fest to see them they hadn't got a wide UK release um, but I will be seeking them out after this actually I think he's uh, he's got something there he has and this is what's lovely these days about streaming platforms and stuff like that you know for a horror fan now that you've got things like Shudder where even these movies that don't get theatrical releases they they often pop up on, on places like Shudder and Prime Video and it's like oh it's great that you know all of these weird little cult movies that may not have found an audience 10 15 years ago you know now really can i think which is really nice and i can see this being the sort of movie that over the next few years every christmas people will sort of slowly start to discover you know mm, yeah and it feels like christmas horror is is, a, is regularly ticking over here i mean i think yeah. my personal favorites are probably still things like you know rare exports yes i thought it was an incredible film yeah um but we had was it the christmas calendar i think or the advent calendar last year that was great you know, there's been some clever yeah, stuff going on that was that was really good that one there was a great one from a few years ago as well called better watch out which is um it's 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 basically what if home alone happened but it was much more brutal like it, it is basically taking <laughs> home alone and turning it into a proper home invasion movie and it kind of reckons with all this really funny stuff like if a paint can actually swung down the stairs and hit you in the face, this is what it would actually look like. And your nose would break and your face would cave in. And it's just, it's a very funny, very nasty, like bad take, uh, bad taste take on uh, the Home Alone movies, which I love. So yeah, I'm all here for these kind of fun Christmas horrors that we're getting every year at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like it's it's coming it's it's coming through. Okay, I have to ask everybody on this podcast. Uh, first of all, what are your go to Christmas films? Are there things that you have to watch every year? Um, are you know are there stuff that you keep coming back to apart from I guess those horrors that we've just discussed? Yeah. Um, what's what's your favourite? 
Yeah, so aside from my horrors, like Black Christmas and the BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas, mm. I would always come back to Home Alone. It is my favourite. That's the one I grew up on. I, I think I, I think it first came out when I would have been about four years old, and I just have been obsessed with it ever since, basically. Uh, and, uh, and of course, Muppet Christmas Carol as well. Of course. Muppet Christmas Carol is so good. Do you know, weirdly, It's a Wonderful Life is a movie that I never really got into because I first watched it as a kid and I found it almost too upsetting and traumatic. <laughs> Like, yeah, I didn't it is. Really, I didn't really get what was so uplifting about it when I first watched it as a child, you know. So that one hasn't ever been one of my kind of favourites on hard rotation, you know. <laughs> um, but it, I think that that's one that earns its happy ending by yes. being incredibly traumatic up until that point. Really, yeah, it's so, got some real you know. dark moments in it, hasn't it? Um, but yeah, no, I would say, uh, I, I would say, it, it, a Muppets as a child of the nineties, it's a Muppets Christmas Carol and Home Alone. Those two. Fair enough. Absolutely. Well, we will be talking about Muppets Christmas Carol, which celebrates its 30th anniversary, <gasps> not wow. to traumatise you, but it does uh, oh this God. year. We're also going to be talking about another Christmas, um, not horror exactly, but certainly gory action movie uh, this season, which is Violent Night. Mm. Uh, what if Santa Claus, what if Saint Nick were John Wick, basically? Um, <laughs> and the answer is... That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but anyway, uh, just just finally, uh, the question I ask every single person who comes on this podcast, do you have any Christmas traditions that you, you think might be unusual or different? You know, do you open a present on Christmas Eve or do you have to have a particular food on Christmas Day that falls outside the norm? What are your Christmas must-haves? Oh, my God. What a question. That's a really interesting one. I, I I am all for opening a present on Christmas Eve, actually. My <laughs> wife doesn't like it. She gets cross, mm. but I do I do like to I do like to open up a little Christmas present on Christmas Eve. And I am definitely a person, like I mentioned at the beginning, who literally first of December, at the latest, I will have that tree up. Mm-hmm. But I don't like keeping it around for long after Christmas. I feel like literally once Boxing Day has happened. I'm like, get rid of this stuff now, you know? It's very weird. So I, I, I'm all for the build-up. And then when it's happened, I'm sort of done with it. I find there's something I find a bit sad about still having a Christmas tree up come like New Year's Day. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> um, oh, I'm, but- I'm, I'm hardcore like Epiphany or GTFO. Oh, yeah. like, I'm, it's there until <laughs> January 6th if I can help it. So, uh, But I, I do understand. I've heard, I've heard that a lot from a lot of people. So yeah, 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 can, yeah. There you go. can be a thing. Well, all right. Well, immediate gratification on your Christmas presents this year then, fingers crossed. Mm, um, mm. You don't have to wait. Um, but Michael, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. And uh, people can find Evolution of Horror basically everywhere that podcasts are podded. Yep. Um, and you should definitely listen to it because it is absolutely phenomenal. Even the episodes I'm on are okay. You know, so, um, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> definitely worth a listen. But thanks very much for joining us and happy Christmas. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas. Well, that's it for this episode of Bah Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays!
You just heard a stripped media production. 